Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Sharing the Magic. If you joined us last week, you had the opportunity to hear part one of our interview with Jerry Reese, as he shared many wonderful stories about his time working in animation. If you haven't had the chance yet, be sure to check it out. On this week's episode, we'll finish up that interview with a great conversation on Jerry's work on attractions for Disney. So, without further ado, let's get back into it. Jerry, you okay with a couple more questions or a few more? Oh, you know, oh yeah. I, I think we got Tara. I just we're I only getting sure. started. <laughs> I know, that's how I feel. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page. I'm, I'm all right. Excited. Yeah. All right. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Um, I would like to steer the conversation and talk a little bit about attractions, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that you directed two of my favorite attractions. You did ah. um, Rock and Roller Coaster, mm. and um, also. The one I want to talk about right now, because I know Lindsay wants to talk about Rock and Roller Coaster. She loves that ride, too. But the <laughs> other attraction that I want to talk about, which is my favorite, is the Extraterrestrial Alien Encounter. Ah, yeah, so, she's a huge fan. Yeah, huge fan. And oh, I I, and I'm so Extra sad about it anymore, but I, I love that attraction so much. I and I'd love to hear more about your experiences, yes. you know, working with the actors in that attraction. Just just in general, like, what was it like working for that attraction <laughs> left turn left turn yes <laughs> oh all right i love it no it's okay that was a that was a wild adventure uh and i had a great time with uh, kevin pollack and kathy Jimmy, jeffrey jones right uh, tim curry ultimately i i had phil hartman in, uh, briefly as a as a uh, as a version of sir the the robot out front but the voice right tim, yeah. tim, but ultimately went with tim curry right. um and uh and our supermodel from Planet X, uh, Tyra Banks, be just before she was a supermodel. That's so awesome. uh, with the no hair and the green uh, extended cranium and everything, uh, that's sort of a trivia question. Y you might be able to win something at a cocktail <laughs> yes, party. Disney with, uh, trivia. I'm who was the ex uh, <laughs> spokesperson, uh, Tyra Banks? Well, it was, uh, that was a, a really interesting two phase uh, journey for me. Uh, first, I was asked to, to come up with the, the the media, all the media that would play in the space, uh, you know, the broadcast, live, live broadcast and that stuff. So I really participated in co-writing that, like shaping the story and co-writing the the screenplay. And um, so the, the Femus and Dr. Spinlock and things were like names I came up with late at night just because I went, oh, I'm spinning a lock. So uh, Spinlock <laughs> and, oh, and uh, Femus is kind of like your femur bone bone and just having fun with stuff like that. But uh, as I was putting that project together and I had the actors that had to put go through like four hours of makeup, four and a half hours uh, sometimes in the morning before we started shooting uh, to get in all that, that makeup was just really difficult. And uh, Don Thorne, my, my director of photography, he talked me into using a Technocrane camera to fly around so we wouldn't uh, be getting a Steadicam operator tired and having their legs uh, wear out partway through the all the camera moves. And um, it was so interesting to follow the scenario of it being a live broadcast from another planet and how could how could you convey everything when it's from somewhere else and part of it is a blackout and how are you going to tell what's going on during the blackout um, and using the night vision camera from a once the once the thing breaks. And I'll go through a little bit more of the story structure, but in part of it, the communication breaks down entirely and a, and a worker has to come in physically 
and see what's wrong, what's gone wrong in here in the teleportation chamber. And so I used uh, another piece of trivia. Uh, when the Brave Little Toaster characters get to the city and they knock on the door, the character that answers the door is Plug Z. How's it going? You know, do not tarry upon our doorstep. You know, that guy uh, oh. was Jim, Jim Jackman. He was also a, <laughs> a groundlings. Sorry, I got to stop. That was good. That was uh, really good. <laughs> well, Jim, Jim Jackman was our, my Plugsy voice. I cast him to be I the enjoyed hapless it. worker. <laughs> I cast Jim Jackman to be the hapless worker who gets eaten in Alien Encounter. So every time you hear the, you heard the voice of the worker who gets eaten, that was Jim Jackman, who was also Plugsy oh, okay. uh, in the story. I can't do it as good as you. Oh, I can't. I don't know. You did it way better than I can. <laughs> but, uh, so I, you know, I, I had a great time working with them and oh my gosh, uh, uh, recently I had a reunion on Zoom. Uh, Tammy Tucky had uh, a reunion with Kevin, uh, Kevin Pollack and Kathy Jimmy and myself and we reminisced about old times. And the two of them are just still hilarious together on the Zoom, even when they weren't performing anything, they were just hilarious together. So I, I definitely had had a lot of that going for us uh, when they they joined in. But I went through that whole thing, shaped a version of it, and then I was raring to go down to the park. And because, you know, I was used to installing everything and taking everything soup to nuts, anything that I would be involved with, I'd follow till the final mix in the space. But there had been a team involved with the rest of the story evolution for quite some time. And they were just like, oh, thanks for doing the media. Bye. And I'm like, well, I am going to go down to the, it's like, no, we got it. Thank you. Don't need you. So they went down and installed some version of the show. And uh, next thing I knew I got a, and they opened it to the public. And then I got a call from Eisner and Marty Sklar and they said, you have to go fix this thing because they, you know, I had been having discussions with them where they're like, the, the room goes dark and they're thinking about, you know, chairman, the chairman on the other planet. And they're thinking about this and that. And I said, not necessarily. I mean, you know, you've spent years coming up with this backstory and they've just been on a bunch of other rides and have a stroller and have a kid and have a churro that's <laughs> trying not to let fall on the floor. And, and now everything goes dark. They might think somebody like hit a plug and it just <laughs> the ride stopped yeah. like they aren't thinking about the chairman or anything about that unless you make sure they know all of that stuff they're like no 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 no, we got it so anyway eisner had ridden it sklar and fitzgerald and a bunch of other people had ridden it and just went this is not a thing yet you got to go finish what you started so they said thank you very much and ushered the other team uh, aside and and i was i so appreciated the work they had done and building the culture of this whole attraction and I wish things had stayed on sort of uh, good terms all the way to the end, but it, I think there was some, some kind of gnashing of teeth and people that left. But then uh, Rick Rothschild, who's a wonderful director producer of many things in the parks, was teamed up with me to be my producer and Rick and I went and went through the thing and we finally rode what had been installed and over a half hour after that, we made notes about what to fix. And it took us about six months to implement everything, but we really knew right away what we wanted to fix. And so I got to get back in the director's chair and finish off. I got Tim Curry in, uh, recorded the, the evangelical future uh, technology robot uh, thing with him. I told him to just assume that he was preaching to a group of people about technology. and. Uh, 
And uh, Doug Griffith, a wonderful animatronics animator, took that under his wing to do all the great gestures and stuff. And then uh, I got to really fine tune all the stuff. I got to shoot the uh, the point of view of the the uh, worker. Because basically, what happens for those of you who hadn't been on it is the Planet X Corporation has landed here at this uh, conference, and they're telling you that teleportation is a wonderful tool and they are making it and they're going to sell it to earth and tyra banks is on a uh, a preamble video to tell you about how wonderful it is and the chairman clinch of their group who's uh menacingly played by jeffrey jones it says seize the future with excess and so during the demonstration where you see their technology being used uh the robot does a demo in front of you with a little living creature named skippy and he teleports him across the room. And we did a trick where he disappears from one teleportation tube and reappears in the other one, a little bit singed, a little bit smoking with his fur, <laughs> a little bit catching on fire. And uh, so, this, you know, Tim Curry's character tries to sort of shrug that off and I'll pay no attention to the smoking monster, everything's fine. And uh, so now you realize, okay, this technology is not all it's cracked up to be. It has some bugs to be worked out. You go into this big chamber and there's a big like 12 foot teleportation tube and what you're told immediately, uh, the live broadcast starts, Kathy Jimmy and, and uh, Kevin Pollock are having a argument about whether it's ready to go yet and whether everything's calibrated. So you realize, oh, more problems with the technology. But then they realize they're live and he promises you, oh, everything's fine. And that one of you is going to be teleported today. We're gonna pick one of you to be teleported to the other planet. So now you're dreading it because you've seen that it can singe things and it'll probably singe you. So. Um, at the last minute, just they do pick one of you. It does settle on a chair and they pick one of you to go. Just before they're gonna send you, uh, Chairman Clinch barges in and announces that he is going to teleport himself to planet Earth because if one of you comes, he can only talk to one Earthling, but if he goes into the chamber, he can meet all of you and tell all of you about the, the wonders of excess technology. And so they try to send him, uh, you know, Kevin's character is just hitting the go lever before it's ready. And instead of sending him directly, he gets waylaid on some other planet. They lose him. They find a figure. They think, oh, that's him. Lock onto it. Send it the rest of the way. Instead of sending him, they send an alien creature, which is like a 10 foot tall, 11 foot tall audio animatronic crustacean monster creature. And it's, it's now in the room with you. And it starts growling and it breaks the glass and it gets out. So now it's on the loose and we had binaural sound and wind and everything. Uh, Brand Farron, who's quite a genius, jumped into our, uh, our audio technique uh, of making you feel like uh, the creature is near you. Uh, I personally did some things to, uh, to test when the creature comes up and is and, and is basically going to eat somebody and you know it's going to eat somebody eventually. I remember even like the harness would even come down on your shoulders. Yes. It would feel we, that real. We put a harness over everyone in the theater because we knew they would just get up and run if we didn't <laughs> because it was so scary. And if you listen back to the home movies that people took at the time, it sounds like people are on a roller coaster ride. Yeah. But they're all sitting still in a room with a harness holding them in. Uh, but they're still screaming like it's uh, they're on a on a uh, roller coaster. But what I had done is I, if we had a vendor who was going to give us 
uh, something to subtly feel like footsteps vibrating the floor that would be mounted in the back of the chair. What they sent us didn't work. And instead it made some crazy vibrations that didn't feel anything like that. So they, they gave me in Glendale in our Imagineering workspace, one of the chairs from the theater and a keyboard where I could do all kinds of frequencies and put the friggin' thing in the back of the chair and just said, see if you can find something useful because we bought a whole bunch of these. So I found one frequency that felt exactly like somebody kicked the back of my chair and like, Aha, oh, that's the one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the audience member say, hey, alien, eat this guy, boom, and kick the back of your chair. <laughs> so, that, so that just came out of a mistake that became a fun idea. That's cool. Put that in and now Rick and I are fine. We finally do a bunch of the retool stuff and we're installing it in the park. And we're, we bring in test audiences who uh, are on, it's hot weather, it's humid. People are like, they go out and say, hey, anybody want to test ride something new for Disney? And they would get volunteers. So people would come in and they'd be like kind of dragging, slumping, sweating into the place. And <laughs> we were super air conditioned and then we'd get their adrenaline pumping. And then, then we would take them into that scary thing where the, the alien got loose in the room, nice. right? And now, now we have a part where Somebody comes in after the alien breaks everything and gets out and it's dark, but you feel him and you hear him and somebody taps your chair and says, eat this guy. Um, a worker comes in, voiced by Jim Jackman, and it's a real guy. And he comes into the catwalk up above you and has a flashlight and is shining it through the vapor. What's wrong? And um, so he gets a broadcast audio from the uh, other planet, Kathy and Kevin, their character, Spinlock and Phoebus. Tell him like, no, nah, just, we need you to get the auxiliary power on. We need to see what's happening. They don't tell him the creature is uh, in loose and about to eat him. Uh, we have his night vision camera kick in. He's looking around, including looking down at the audience at you. I had to be really tricky about trying to put the average amount of people in and not hold on anything too long. So it would look like a truly live feed. It was mimicking a live feed. And um, he finally makes too much noise and, and uh, it comes over and eats him. So you see the point of view where it eats him. And I, I trained you for a later moment by having it come up and it gets close, it shows its jaws and it breathes on the camera. So you get fog. <sighs> then it used its snake-like tongue to go lickety-lick patterns into the fog. <laughs> yep. And then it gets chomp and it bites down on his head and the whole thing goes black. And then you get splattered with quote unquote blood, which was, uh, uh, was room temperature water. So blobs <laughs> of water. Right. So Rick and I are testing this moment and it misfires. So mm -hmm. it's supposed to hit everybody. It's yeah. just, I had programmed it. So it would hit everybody. Um, it made a mistake and just half the room got hit and Rick and I were not sitting in the half of the room got hit. So in the distance, we hear people scream their heads off. That made uh, our whole group of people way more scared because they didn't know what happened to those people. <laughs> so then it misfired late on us and people screamed twice as loud. So <laughs> as soon as the lights come up, Rick and I go, that stays in. That's so it. <laughs> permanently put that in the programming. So it's always half the audience get hit, the other half wonders what happened to them. Oh, that's so funny. So then, so then we, we go watch as people leave. Mm -hmm. And another thing we do is we finally lure the creature. Oh. I have to say I paid off the training that I gave you when it finally uh, comes to behind your seat and everybody in the dark feels like the alien is only gotten me. 
Like everybody <laughs> feels like they're the one. Yeah. And so it, the guy kicks the chair and then it comes up and we have hot breath on your neck. Oh, I remember that part. <laughs> so the hot breath is like, and it's like, remember, oh yeah, what did it do? First it breathed, the fog, then it lickety-licked, then it was chomp. So it's like, what do I feel? Breath on my neck. Then in every chair, we put an actuator to have a rubbery thing go lickety-lick on your head. <laughs> and people scream. And then you go, the next thing is chomp. And then at the point where the chomp was supposed to come, uh, you know, Dr. Femus like, makes a big noise and distracts it and lures it into the tube. And then they explode it. And you get, everybody gets sprayed in the face with what we call bug bits. It's uh, again, a little water, but it filtered differently. So it feels different. Um, so everybody would walk out of the theater, like super air conditioned, charged with adrenaline. And they had gone in like slumped and sweating and they were going out leaping and talking and laughing and telling each other stories. <laughs> human rejuvenator. Yep. So it, it was fun. And then this is pretty crazy is we later got word tariff that um, that there were some people going up to the people that worked in the park mm -hmm. and, and saying, hey, we really like that ride. And it was by and large senior citizens that were going up and telling them that. And they took note of that and they sent the word back to us. And so Rick and I are kind of scratching our heads going, why, why would it be a real favorite with senior citizens? And then we went, you know what? It might be because they don't want to get on the roller coaster and get whiplash, but we gave them the same thrill while they sat perfectly still <laughs> in the dark. Yeah. And, and the senior citizens, they're, they're not shocked by like much. Like there's a, there's a sense of age in which you're like, yeah, that's an alien. Yeah, there's some blood. There's some guts. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. I, I've met those. I've met those people where they're just wonderful. And they're like, they like clap and they're like, why are you laughing? Oh, there's blood on this person. They're like, that, that was just nice. That was magical. Oh, that was, they're, they're impressed. And they're, it's this calm well, they, cynicism, but it's beautiful. But you know what? There was a, there was a problem that, um, you know, we had an age warning out front yeah. and, and ultimately I think, I think if we had installed that show in like Disney MGM studios where there's tower of terror, I think it would still be there today. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that it was in the magic kingdom and I think people's expectation was you can let your kids run and it's all G rated. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it tripped over that. And it's funny. I met on a couple projects. <laughs> it was, I was at, uh, in the last few years, I was in uh, R and D Imagineering research and development. I was an executive R and D Imagineer. And then I had some young people working for me that I considered them young. They were uh, probably close to 30. But they were just old enough where they said I was I was like the six year old who went into that <laughs> it was I was like too young. <laughs> my parents were like, ah, eh, what the hell take them anyway. Yeah. I'm like, well, did you how did uh, did it traumatize you? And they were like, I survived. That was a thrilling, thrilling show. Really? I love that. Word. I think if it had been installed in another park, but but, you know, I mean, that was that was part of the issue is it was taking an existing space and changing out what it would be used for. So it wasn't an easy, it's easier to say, install it in the other park than to do it. Uh, Cause it's like a lot of the infrastructure was already there and we were adapting it for the new story as we did many years later with uh, Guardians Mission Breakout. So I was, I was media director on that as well. So it was a, a lot of people lost a favorite but gained a new favorite. So right. uh, I was part of, part of that. Uh, so anyway, uh, 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 Tim, Tim Curry, what a, what a joy. Wow. I was just going to say that 
that Tim Curry when he says, um, Who, Obar, "Who's that guy? Who, who's Obar, that guy?" I'm just kidding. I'm how, how he says that, and that it it's top notch. My favorite thing in the whole entire thing is when he says "Ovare" or however he says it. It's amazing. Yeah, just such great chops. And uh, so we were, and and then when Kathy and Jimmy and Kevin Pollock were having a reunion with Tammy and me. Uh-huh. And we were recalling this stuff. Uh, Kevin Pollock, he brought up something that I, I had slipped my mind and he reminded me. He said, uh, you know, one of the, um, how did he put it? He said, uh, one of the most dramatic things that ever happened to me happened on this set. I grown uh, to trust Jerry Reese, probably the most trustworthy director I've ever met. Everything he oh. says, surely believe, warm hearted guy, right? And then he pulls the most terrible trick that's still traumatized to the very day. Oh, no. uh, what it was was, and, and he reminded me, and Kathy and Jimmy had put me up to this. She she had caught me when we were done, and I was ready to wrap them. And she goes, "Please, please, please! I have a running thing with with, with him, and and we we were always playing tricks on each other. Please, go in and tell him that there was a problem with the camera, and that everything we shot today is no good, and we're gonna have to do it again." So then he explained. It's like so Jerry comes in, and with the most honest demeanor says everything we shot today is out focus can't use a piece of it <laughs> can't use a piece I have of to it. do the whole thing again i'm just about to kill somebody and i look across the room and i see kathy smiling and i want to kill you so uh anyway they they played that trick on each other and, and had used me as the as the tool so, uh, so and i said okay you got i i remember, I remember. yeah well i know that's a good, as a kid that's a story. yeah as a kid, I would ride, uh, well, you know, go on Alien Encounter, like, I think the most I did was like four or five times in a row. I would always go on with my dad. <laughs> we would always go to bring my mother on and it would definitely scare the, you know, out of her. <laughs> that was fun. Um, yeah. Not, I, I, I babysat them while, uh, while Rebecca went on the, on the attraction. So I took them on the people mover a bunch of times while she yeah. went. Yeah. My mother would then do that with my little brother while my dad would take me on Alien Encounter. <laughs> so, <laughs> how but old? I, I loved it. I was young, you know, I was a very young kid, and I loved it. You know, everybody I hired uh, was—they were comics. I mean, all, all of them. And I, I was really harking back. All of us that were working on it were harking back to the the theater days where they'd put the you know the 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 little electric shock in the theater for when they would do 3D and you would get a tingle and and uh, so it was all in fun, and it was written with that sense of, of comedic fun. And everybody I hired, Michael Lerner, and there were people like that doing doing voices in the background, uh, just people that had good comedy chops to join in with the scary fun. That's beautiful. I'm like, what else did you mention something else, Tara? I, oh yeah, I mentioned a rock and roller coaster, but I know Lindsay had yeah, a so yeah. Safe for her. I don't know if Lindsay wants to chime in on that ride yeah so hi jerry how are you hi good so one of my favorite all-time rides is rocking roller coaster and i know tara we were discussing this uh the other day and i'm intrigued to ask um how was it working with aerosmith and what was your experience and your favorite memories oh it was it was really great working with them uh steven and the guys um were such troopers and they they had to be troopers in a way that nobody would realize this was not anywhere near a normal shoot mm-hmm. and, and I worked with them the morning after they were on the Academy Awards and they had performed don't want to miss a thing 
there was it that was nominated uh, for uh, the film Armageddon. Um, Armageddon, yeah. Yeah. So I had watched them the night before. The next morning, I'm working with them, and That's uh, awesome. so I, <laughs> I talked to them I, about it. And Stephen's like, "Was that okay? Did that sound okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, it sounded kickass. What do you mean?" And all of them said, "Man, they they said our ear things went out." Yeah. So the, I don't want to miss a thing, really. Uh, their their earphones had gone out, the little earbuds that they were wearing during the Academy Awards, and they couldn't hear anything. And they were just hoping that it sounded decent. And I told them it sounded absolutely great. Yeah. So uh, um, then I took them. Here's the thing: to shoot that project, people just take it for granted. But it, you know, the the illusion was you come into a recording studio and you look through the glass into the room where the musicians would work and on the far side, you see the double glass that goes into the engineer's booth where they do the mixing. And that's where you see them. So we were rear screen projecting on a pane of glass uh, with some special material there. And in order to have it look like it was really them in the room and not a movie of them in the room, you had to hold focus on everything. Because if you had the foreground is out of focus and they're in focus and the background is soft or whatever you go oh it's a movie of aerosmith mm -hmm. so but we needed your eyes to be able to focus on the glass and them and feel like it was the same focus so we had to pour and and that would be a, that would be a challenge with any sort of film and we were holding focus from the four the front piece of the engineer's desk to the actors behind it to the back wall and then you open the back doors and you see into an alley and a limo comes through so all of that has to stay in focus um, with traditional film so that's a lot of light you're pouring onto it okay get that in your head now imagine it's imax size negative and it's 60 frames a second now you have to pour exponentially more light into that to get it to happen so the temperatures and the brightness on the set were just horrendous. It was like Death Valley. And you, you can't even imagine looking at the film, it looks normal. It was nowhere near normal. So I just, <clears throat> I couldn't believe it. We did a test with another group. Uh, we got a, a really fun sort of glam rocker group to come out and test in their, in their place. And we, we, we had to tell the city that there was going to be a, a, a drain on the, the power grid and it was all going to be our lights and uh, and and we did and it was, it was a good thing we forewarned them because it was a huge suck on the on the energy for the for the whole town and what we found was it was so hot and so bright we needed to get special contact lenses made to protect eyes for the people that were the closest to to the lights and and it was just so hot it, it felt like it was over 100 degrees it felt like you were just standing in death valley and uh i'm like how are they going to do an extended long scene and i can't do pieces of takes and go oh, use these 10 seconds use these 15 seconds it's one continuous thing it's not supposed to be a movie it's supposed to be people in a room not in a movie so yeah. it all has to happen with no cuts and you can't use parts of takes you have to have one take for everything working right right so they have to stand in the heat forever so I just said, they're going to kill me if they show up to work and I put them in that, they will kill me. So, so uh, I, next time their wardrobe person was over to visit the set, I said, you have to come onto the set with me. 
And they were like, no, 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 I've been on movie sets before. I went, no, you don't know this. So I took them over with me and I turned on the lights and oh my God, with 10 seconds, they run off and get on the phone and they're screaming at the phone about what they've just felt. And so Steven and the guys, they like, first thing after I asked them about their performance on the Academy Awards, they tell me about the, the trials they went through. They hope it was good. I tell them it was kick gas. And then they go like, okay, where's the oven? <laughs> take us to the oven. So I take them to the oven and their whole attitude, they stand in it and they know they, they've been told this is hard. And Stephen and that their whole attitude was, we're, we're going to, we're going to fight this. We're going to make this work. We're going to overcome these crazy odds. And so they're, they just dove in with that whole idea. We're going to ignore the challenge. We're going to ignore the heat. We're going to make this look like we're just strolling through this hell. And uh, so it was just great for them to be so accommodating and so positive in the face of, of those horrible shooting conditions. Yeah. And then it was another freak out was, I said, by the way, since we're shooting 60 frames a second at IMAX size negative, it's a noisy thing when it goes through the, the camera. And so we have a sound blimp around the reels of film, but it still is going to ruin the sound. So everything you say today, I'm going to have to loop later. Yeah. But if you, you can't phone it in today and go, well, I'm going to record a good version later. I can just sort of do decent acting today and then I'll put the good acting over it. I said, no, that doesn't work. You have to give your very best performance now. And yeah. that's the only way you can loop a good performance later. So, yeah. so, but, but you have to walk into this knowing that not only is it hot, but I have to throw out all the audio and start over with you in Boston. I'm going to come meet you. Yeah. So, and now on top of that, you go, okay, that's the next challenge. And by the way, there's no using parts of different takes. We have to have the whole scene all to the end. Perfect. Because I stop halfway through, let's say if I get more than 20 seconds into the scene and I have to call cut, there's not enough film left for the scene again. So they have to throw the whole roll of film out. Wow. Wow. So every take is a roll of film and they don't have an endless stack of film. And they haven't told me how many rolls of film they have, but we're going to do this. <laughs> so my main job was to let everybody know that there's all these reasons that this is a special day. This is not a normal day. We're not, yeah. we're, a lot of the perks we normally get are gone. We're going to have to pull off miracles, but you know what? I'm here to guide you through. I'm here to keep you calm. We're going to focus on the moment. And uh, we workshopped things for to have it easier to remember for the performance. Um, and man, I'll tell you, Stephen just, and all of them, but Stephen especially was just so wanting it to be good. Yeah. And they did a terrific job that day. We got it done after a few takes. Uh, I, uh, you know, we'd have, we had a lot of misses, but then it almost worked and then it worked. And well, I felt like the main, my main task was to keep everybody from panicking, like the stay on target and don't panic and focus on what's needed now. Stay in the moment. Don't, don't let yourself think about yeah, all yeah. Like realize it's just realize that, that it's not going to be your typical day and we could completely crash. Right. But instead, we're going to focus together. And by the way, I'm not going to get loud and angry with you. Yeah. We're not going to pull director BS. 
Uh, <laughs> we're going, we're in this together. It's a big challenge for all of us. We're going to do it. And yeah. by the time we, we got it, we were overjoyed. We went back and looked at video playback and agreed like that was the one. Yeah. Uh, they never told me how much film was left. And um, then I had to go to Boston and loop with them. And Stephen just told me again uh, there after we did our work and they really had to, they focused and did a great job uh, of looping themselves. But Stephen told me at the end of that session, he said, look, this thing is forever. So uh, it's gotta be great. And if you get back and you cut this in and it's not as good as it should be, we'll do it again. He said, as, as much as you need to make this really the, the perfect thing it should be, we're there for you. So um, just, I had no complaints about them whatsoever. There was no diva uh, tricks from them. Yeah. They were all focused. They were into the challenge. They were great. Then, then I had the fun thing of shooting with them. Uh, the footage that you see at the end of the roller coaster ride and there you've now arrived and you're, you're near where their concert is happening and it's uh, a traditional camera push in on them on a stage and they've just yeah. finished a song. And uh, so that was like a fun sort of uh, cleanser for us to, to okay. just to do that, that moment together. We had a, we had a lot of fun with that, but I, I must say there's, there's, there's two versions. I assume that you went to the, uh, the one that's in Florida, right? Yeah. There's also one in France and, uh, in the Disney MGM studios. I think they, they call it Walt Disney studios, Paris now, but it was, uh, yeah. Um, oh. yeah. we've never been there. We, we, I don't, I don't know any of us. We, nobody... I've, I've been there. Lindsay's been there. Oh, okay. All right. Never mind. It, never mind. Yes. That, uh, so that's, I, I had two shows there. I had Cinemagique and, and rock and roller coaster, both in, uh, Disney studios, Paris. And, but it was not the same show. No. Uh, the French, said they wanted a different show. They said, we, we, we don't buy into the fantasy that you have in America, where it's like you catch them in the town studio, they're gonna go and they pull, give you a limo and you're gonna, they're gonna take it there for free. Um, it's like, we don't want any of that. We want a story about Aerosmith is working on a rock, uh, roller coaster and they've been writing on it, which they really did, by the way, wrote it many times. Stephen wrote it again. Nice. Listening to tracks, because they- better, because I, I love, I love having it blasting in my ears when I was like well they wanted to listen to the tracks I mean our team had ideas about what would play well during the movement but Stephen uh -huh. wanted to feel it for themselves so they would ride again and again and again listening to their own music playing and want to you know going down and then they would go zooming <laughs> I and go, oh, that yeah. that's so cool <laughs> later and stuff so they were they really participated and wrote uh -huh. on it but in France they wanted that story so okay. just, they have a model of the roller coaster track and they've just come back from writing it uh, again and they want to switch where something happens and then they see us and they tell us, yeah, we've made this new thing and we invite you to write it with and hope you have fun. So and then you just climb onto it, onto it and ride. So yeah. so again, it was the same stipulation where it was all one shot. And uh, I had to pull that off, but it was it was not quite as complex a scene and it was more sort of matter of fact. So. That one was not as big a challenge to pull off, but uh, but and also when I when I went to meet Stephen, rewind back to my first like uh, uh, talking to him, you know, coming onto the onto the lot was what I had described to you. But then he's there, like, oh, he's getting he's getting ready, uh, getting suited up. So go to his trailer. So I went to his trailer, 
and he was on a workout machine and he was like, he was doing it. And then <laughs> comes in, so just talking to me and then he's getting into his, his outfit and he asked me to help him. Oh, can you help pull the jacket on and stuff? So, uh, it just, he was really paying attention to staying in shape and all of that good stuff. So I thought it was awesome. So I have, have uh, it's only, only good stories about Aerosmith. That's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing. Sure. All right. Questions. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we have so many, I got to ask though, cause you do have so many, your, your fingertips are on so many different attractions. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you have a favorite, maybe not as a creator, but as a, like a fan of it or someone that just goes, like we would just go and experience it. Is there one that you really like? Gosh, I, you know, I really have to put those in categories of, you know, when I used to go as a kid versus once I'm in the parks, uh, certainly for my, uh, as a kid, I mean, I, there's a couple that really stand out to me, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Haunted Mansion. And then for some reason, even as a kid, uh, Carousel of Progress, the music and the taking you through the years and the family and acknowledging that the dog changes because, you know, they're with for a few years and then there's a new dog and and looking at the future and and the positive message from that even as a small kid I, that really stuck with me as a special experience and and I I dug the family and and the progress and and then they had a miniature after you would go out of that of the uh of Epcot when it was a experimental prototype community of tomorrow and it was that it was back when it was meant to be that and really be a lived in community with uh, experiments in new transportation and education and communication and all that good stuff. And I remember being mesmerized looking at that little model of, of the future as well. So, but, but there were so many things, but those, those are a few that really stood out. And then, you know, uh, for me, there's, there's so many that are wonderful, but the, the, uh, special memories from working with Robin Williams. I got to Uh write his first foray into not only the parks, but for to Disney animation, like before, before he was cast in Aladdin, I was able to argue the case of casting him in a show called back to Neverland. Um, That's a whole story into itself, but no, I love back to Neverland. I've, I've watched it before. I even, when I, when I deep dive, you know, in, in, into you, I was like, are you serious? Like you were, you, that was, that's part of your, cause I, I remember watching that years ago and it just, it was so wonderful. Well, you know, that was a special experience for me in many ways. Uh, it was the first thing I did for the parks and, and I, and I wasn't, I wasn't hired to do it at the beginning. I was asked by Mark Kirkland who had I got into school. He was out at CalArts in one of the other programs and I had got to know him and he just called me and he said, uh, we're doing a show that's supposed to be in the animation pavilion for Disney in this new park they're opening. And, uh, we have a couple different stories evolving and it's been nine or 10 months. Uh, we've been working on it and we've even had Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson have been collaborating now and then, but you know, Bob Rogers, uh, it's at his, little studio and um we just feel like the wind's going out of the sails and and mm-hmm. i like your story since uh can you just be the fresh eyes 
and right. come see the two the two versions that we have going and let us know uh what you think so i just went over to the fresh eyes and to give my two cents yeah, so yeah. they show me uh siskel and ebert version which was the two movie reviewers at the time they were very popular at that time oh. so so that was a siskel and ebert version of explaining animation and they were yeah. talking about drawings per second and all that stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Um, back up all the drawings this is how tall it'll be etc and then <laughs> uh, and then there was a carol burnett and animated donald duck version of her going through a studio and so i i watched both those versions and they one of the reasons that mark said he wanted to have me come be the fresh eyes is because i had had a whole career as a disney feature animator so they went this is about disney feature animation and what makes it special so so i figured since that was your one of your chapters that you you started with disney in that department yeah. that you'd have an opinion so i just really said all due respect neither one of those stories gets into what makes disney animation special yeah. you know it's uh it, you it's a list of technical things that any studio could list you use peg mm -hmm. bars you use a camera stand you use drawings and then in rapid sequence they seem to move it's like that's not what makes disney special and i i had with my veteran teachers and in some some arguments i'd had with some people outside of disney too i'd, I'd had some of these things principles sort of rise up and consolidate and one of them i remember especially was there was a, a producer of i believe it was plague dogs something like that and he was doing a lot of rotoscope where he just had animators trace yeah rotoscope yep, yep. And, um, so Tim Burton and I had gone to meet with with him and he was trying to woo us into working on the project and and uh I started to talk to him about animators and what they were and he's like he was getting people that were novice and just having him trace and so it's like to him their animators are tracers and I said animators are actors and he, yeah. he annoyed by yeah. were actors because he didn't want them to have any opinions he just wanted them to shut yeah. up so I remember at that time I had told him it's not how you move the drawings, it's how the drawings move the audience. Move you, oh my gosh. And I just went. You just rocked my world. I like dropped my mic and, and really <laughs> dropped and we left, him and I left and we drove yeah. up to LA. Um, but that stuck with me. So I, to Mark Kirkland and. What and, a, wait, that's, oh, I gotta pause. That's the story. Like you can't just tell that story and, and just move on to another story. Like that's the, that is what, what a story just that is. Well, thank you, but but then that came to bear now when I was looking at this potential film, and I said, "That's the story of what makes Disney animation special. It's not yeah. how you move the drawings; it's how the drawings move the audience. And every department is the story department. You don't pick colors just because they're pretty. What does this color say about the character's emotional state right now? Right. And about that chair in the corner of the room. And what about the window? And what's outside the window? And what about the composition? Like everything is telling you story or not." Yeah. at every moment so it's like every department is the story department and it's not how you move the drawings it's how the drawings move the audience that's your that's your story I, I i wrote up a bunch of stuff that night they said well let's let's talk more tomorrow like um get some impressions and come back and tell us more of what's on your mind tomorrow so i did and i wrote up a thing and i said you know if i were you i would get somebody like robin williams to be a guest that's brought in and have them step by be like kid in a candy store like oh i'm i turn them into a cartoon have them be a kid in a candy store feeling what it's like and then have them see how color changes the emotion composition changes the emotion like 
uh, the music changes the emotion, all the everything and, and have him have it happen to him and feel the emotions change. Uh, so I came back in the next morning, I'd written this whole thing up. I'm about to pull it out. And Bob says, no, 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 just don't get out any document. Let's just talk. So I, I told him what I was feeling. And he said, I love that. And you know what, it'd be a good straight man to that is Walter Cronkite. It's like, oh. it's like <laughs> I went perfect, Robin and Walter. Yeah. And he's like, okay, uh, I, I got to make a call. And so I'm still there in the conference room and he calls uh, Peter Schneider and he says in front of me, you know, the, the, the two versions of the project that we've been doing for the last 10 months, I, I think we're going to unplug those today. And I hear <laughs> screaming on the phone and he goes, well, Jerry Reese and I have, yeah, I'll, I'll censor myself ahead of time, but it's like, who the bleep, who the bleep is Jerry Reese? I hear uh, screaming on the phone. Uh, so anyway, he hangs up and he says, well, you got like four weeks to get something ready to show Schneider. And then if it gets past him, another two weeks to get ready for Katzenberg. And I went, what are you talking about? I just came by to give an opinion. And he said, oh, no, you have to direct this. So I was pushed into the director's chair. And then I got resistance from Jeffrey about casting Robin. And they said crotch grabbing adult comic with substance abuse problems, good for Good Morning Vietnam, not good for anything having to do with Disney animation yeah. away from that. And so I, my argument was to go back to, and, and, and uh, <laughs> Peter was apt to say, I know you, I know you want to be an auteur. I know you want to make this a Jerry Reese project. Um, but I, <laughs> I said, no, I said, no, let's talk about Walt. Yeah. Oh, Walt. So I go, good, good, good Pinocchio, move. Pinocchio, you have uh, Jiminy Cricket, and uh, he, he cast. Uh, oh, what's his name with the uh, that did the voice of Jiminy Cricket? Oh, Barry, Barry, this is Barry. Barry, what do you know? I, I could kick myself. No, I, I can't think. Oh, of come on, Barry, right come on. I, I am going to. I'm going to look this up. Matt, come on. Cliff okay. Edwards. Oh yes, yes. We got it. I could kick myself for that. Okay. No, it's okay. Sorry. Backing up. I say, what do you, do you think Pinocchio was a good Disney film? Like, yes. Do you think it was charming and family friendly? Yes. And I go, okay, yeah. for the role of Jiminy Cricket, he cast Cliff Edwards, who had the stage name Ukulele Ike, and he worked vaudeville at the time. And his, his shtick was doing dirty jokes and dirty songs. And you could buy like blue records for him, yeah. questionable. He's Vermont. like the Bob Saget of the right. well, so back in the day. <laughs> you, you're naming two of my favorite Disney animated characters with Genie and Jiminy Cricket. They're, they're my two actual favorite characters, and I did not know that connection. That is amazing. Started with this argument. So once I did the ukulele, I Cliff Edwards. Walt hired him despite his problems with substance abuse and sadly he died uh, as a result of alcoholism and stuff uh, years later but Walt saw the special part of him and hired him anyway and the sparkling beautiful part of Cliff Edwards made it onto the screen in Jiminy Cricket and that will always be how we remember him we won't remember the dirty records and the and the substance abuse we'll remember the charming Jiminy Cricket I said the same thing is true of Robin. Like he's, there is just a magic to him 
that I swear does belong with Disney animation. And so I'm not arguing to do the Jerry Reese auteur thing. I'm arguing to do what Walt did already. And so he's, so then it was begrudgingly agreeing saying, well, I'll allow it just because it's in the parks, it's far away from our feature department. And if it fails, at least it's only a short and it won't be that bad of a loss. We can't risk this on a feature. Um, then I worked with Robin and it was an absolute joy and there's wonderful stories about that. But bottom line was when it was done and it was in front of the public, they fell in love with Robin, of course. And uh, John Musker and John and Aaron Clemens and I had gone to school with John Musker looked at that and they said it was a it was a beautiful moment where they went, oh my gosh, one of the moments in Back to Neverland yeah. is I let Robin improvise and then Franz Vischer, one of my animators, did Metamorphosis, where he's changing into everything that Robin improvises about. And they just went, oh my God, that could be the genie. It was oh. like the comes the dawn moment. And wow. so then, and, and Rebecca, who, who had animated, on, and she, who, who married and we worked on Toaster together, we met at Disney, she came through Art Center into Disney. I came from Cal Arts into Disney. Um, she was working with John and Ron on story for for uh, uh, Aladdin, and so they asked, like, "Well, what was it like to work with Robin? Was he a loose cannon? Was it okay?" And she said, "Oh, Jerry and, and Robin got along great. You should talk to him about it." So uh, they ultimately did talk to him and cast him, and uh, so that became his second piece of Disney animation. And they, John and Ron, told our crew we put a tip of the hat to the short in our feature because it never would have been this feature without that sort of uh, domino tilting our direction. So they said, look for it. So they invited us to the premiere. Uh, I looked for it for like the first 10 minutes. Then I forgot about it. I was just taken into their story. And then at the end, when the genie gets his freedom, one of the things he comes zipping back in is the, the Hawaiian shirt and the goofy hat and the Hold on, I'll be right back. Which is I got the goofy hat. Hold on, I'll be right back. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, no, I'll, I'll go get my hat. Okay. All right, continue though. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, they dressed the genie in an outfit to match the live-action Robin in my film. Because when he's uh, you first see Robin before he's animated, he's a live-action tourist visiting the park, right. and he's out of the crowd wearing a Hawaiian shirt and having a camera around his neck and a goofy hat. <laughs> And uh, so, it, you know, that's how you first meet him. And the genie, they dressed in a, a similar outfit as a permanent tip of the hat to Back to Neverland in, in Aladdin. But most people that see that in the parks, they go, oh, you know, he was in Aladdin. It was a big hit. And then they, so they made the short as a, to pay off the popularity. And it's, it was the opposite. It, we we ex did the brave experiment with the short. And then that paved the way for the feature to bravely accept him and not be afraid. Well, I have so I've already thanked you already this evening for Brave Little Toaster, and I have to thank you again then for bringing Robin there because Genie is one of my two favorite characters, and no one else could have been Genie. Oh, I agree with you. Uh, there, look at there. That, yeah, or, uh, Jeff is has become Robin. He's just stepped <laughs> out of the crowd. Well, I think this is very nice hat. Oh man. <laughs> He's a handsome guy. Right? And Robin, if you go to my website, you can see uh, some pictures of the behind the scenes with Robin uh, when he met the animators. So I, I first went and, and recorded with him up in Northern California. 
and got his tracks going for the animated part. Then I started the animators at work and later on at Raleigh Studios, I shot the live action portion with him. And we actually built a replica of the Florida park in Hollywood. So the soundstage and the water tower are actually pretty big models that we built uh, down at Raleigh Studios in Hollywood to look like it was in Florida. And I actually fooled uh, Eisner. He thought I had filmed in Florida when he looked at that. <laughs> we, uh, we fooled you, so we'll fool everyone else. Um, devil. But we went and shot down there. And uh, so that's where I shot Robin stepping out of the crowd wearing this, uh, this outfit. And then while I was working down there, we had to change one soundstage to another. And I had some time where Robin didn't have to be busy for about a half hour maybe 45 minutes while we changed equipment. And so I had arranged for the animators to come meet him and to be able to show flipping drawings of, of uh, scenes that they were already starting to do working to his voice. And, uh, and Robin just loved it. And, and somebody, I was busy, but somebody else was there taking photographs and uh, they showed it to me later. And just, you could see his eyes lighting up, twinkling, looking at at the animation of himself as it's this little character. And he came in and he talked to me afterwards and and uh, he didn't have to, but he bothered to stop and, and talk about it. And he just said, oh, I was so, I was so flattened by those people. They're so talented. And, <laughs> and a good voice of him. he said he was really moved and, and to, to tears uh, by how special they were and uh, just thanked me for letting him have time to, to spend with them. And uh, just so again, that was just a, a magical thing. And I, and something that shocked me in a good way about Robin was that I didn't realize before working it with him how much he could shape his improv. So he would first want to know, it's like, oh, what are some of the things we could talk about? And I would talk about, well, there's this film and that film, and I would I would feed him a few things. And I was like, oh, good. And then he would do a take. And I was able to go, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. But you know, the, the third thing in, that was great. It would be, can you put that last? And he'd be like, sure. And then I would do another take and he would sound just as improvised, but he'd move something to the end. And one thing that, uh, that people probably wouldn't realize is that in his big um, um, improvisation where he metamorphosizes into everything else, the last thing he did, does is is being Mickey, and he says, you know, I'm a corporate, everybody, I'm a corporate symbol in Mickey's voice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, most people think that was improvised too. That was the one thing that was not. That was actually storyboarded oh, in. And, <laughs> and when I first took him on a tour, it was funny, when I took him on a tour of the storyboards to see what he was gonna do, um, there was a whole entourage behind him. There was his agent and his manager and then Katzenberg and Eisner and all this whole clumping group of people. But he was paying attention. He was up there with me and we were going through while they're jabbering away behind. And I got to that part and Robin just busted a gut when I got to the Mickey corporate symbol part. <laughs> Everybody stopped talking and their heads swiveled. And <laughs> I think that's the only reason I got away with it because I kept waiting for you to tell me like, okay, Jer, cut it out. You know, you can't use the corporate symbol line, but he never did. And I just never mentioned it again. And we animated it and I just never brought it up. And I think the fact that Robin loved it is why Jeffrey left it alone. <laughs> uh, all these stories. Okay. All right. But that's just, and the other one. So that was my things that are special in the part where I worked. 
And then the other one I would put in a special category yeah. was Cinema Gique, which played in Paris for 15 years. So that's another one that has special fond memories uh, for me in many, many ways. But I won't go into that story because that's a half hour story. Well, we gotta have you, we gotta have you back. And here's yeah. I have one last question. If that's okay, Barry, can I can I do one last sentence? Because you know, we talked about early on, we heard, uh, you know, your story. We talked about story shapes life. And I love to kind of sandwich these conversations between, you know, there's people that are listening. Maybe they're just a, a kid in their sketch pad, or maybe they're just, or maybe you're 30, I'm not projecting, <laughs> 38 years old and, and an amateur voice actor. I don't know, whatever it is. Okay, hypotheticals. But let's say, you know, I mean, you have a wonderful story and you have so much, not just your story to share, but you have a lot of wisdom from your story. Um, is there anything from for our listeners, you know, who are listening wherever they are in life that might be helpful based upon your story? I, I'd like to relate something that happened. Uh, I think that applies exactly yeah. to what you're talking about. Um, after we opened back to Neverland. I then was tasked with two more project at the same time, Cranium Command and retooling the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. Luke, Lucas asked me to, to go retool that before he opened it to the public. So, uh, so I suddenly was living in the park working on those two projects and, as, and, and I was doing storyboard work with my team. In, I had to put them somewhere in Florida because I was stuck there working on the stunt theater. So I went, well, if I'm working on Cranium Command, like a new version of what that's going to be, I have to have my story team here in Florida with me. Where do I put them? So I put them in the storyboard room that you see when you first come out of the Back to Neverland story. So you're in that building. It's a whole animation studio. At the time, it wasn't really populated yet, but you would see the film and they would talk about how special Disney animation was, and then you were going to go take a tour of an animation studio. And the first room you saw was the storyboard room. And Cronkite would be like, this is the storyboard room. You know, you'd go into this whole thing. And that then, was good. Again, that's a good impression. And so, so I put my storyboard team there. So when people would come out, they would see storyboard people at work. And it was yeah. Kirk Wise and Gary Trousdale and Rebecca Reese and Daryl Rooney. And they were storyboarding what was going to become Cranium Command uh, right in front of the public. And so we had the public going by us all day long. And I was jumping back and forth between the stunt theater and the animation building to see how it was going. And we'd have these parade of people going by the window. And bless their hearts, my team got used to it. And some people can't stand being watched while they work, but they put up with it. And uh, it, sometimes they'd even do little hijinks with the public. They'd uh, you know, hold up a sign, don't feed the animators and uh, like, like, hey, if you want to help help out an animator, drop the quarter here and put a slot and then people would clink it against the glass. And um, so once in a while, we would see a scene happen, Jeff, where you'd have a family, a big crowd go through and then they would leave. And just in the corner by, you'd see everybody's gone now. And then you're like, no, not everybody's gone. And there'd be some kid and be like one little boy or girl looking through the glass and the parents coming back to try to coax them. Come on, sweetie. And so I, whenever I'd see that and it happened a few times, I'd go, oh, who wants to take this like me or somebody else? And 
we go out and meet, take the employee's door and go out to the hallway and meet them. Go, hi, I saw you looking in, uh, you know, you must be interested. What, what do you, what's going on? And it was typically some kid with the dream. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I want to be an artist. I want to be an animator. I want to be a storyteller. I want to work for Disney, some version. And I would first tell them, I used to be you looking in and you can do this. If you stick with it, if you stick with your dream, if you follow your passion, you will find a way to get there. I used to be looking into, I used to be your age and found a way and you will find a way. And then that was the first part of my conversation. My second part of the conversation was quietly to the parents going, I'm not kidding. Like you support your kid. <laughs> it's like, yes, I love it. Do this. Yes. Um, so we would try to pass that on. <clears throat> I then had a wonderful guy who's in the business now, Eric Miller, get in touch with me. And he told me that he used to work in the park and he asked his supervisors to, if he could spend more time in the tour because he loved the whole Back to Neverland story and uh, wanted to be able to, to be around it more and to, uh, to share it with people. And he said it affected him like the way it affected those kids. He was a few years older, he was working in a park, but it made an impact on him. And he got in touch with me and he said, because of being around Back to Neverland and feeling the message of that, I pursued getting into the business. And he wound up like being a production manager on some major DreamWorks films and now has his own studio. And so he's, he, he, wow. he made it and he had a career and he, he had lunch with me and he just said, you know, that film was a domino early in my life and I have had a career in the business and i feel like that helped me trust going there and uh so whether it was the kids that we were encouraging or whether it was somebody like him who was a young adult who was around it uh i i've been so excited to know that sometimes the ripples do go out and touch people and lead to something uh meaningful for them yes. and so whether that's inside of a story like toaster i've had so many people in touch say that <laughs> It was a meaningful, almost therapy for them through certain times of their lives. They had, had many communications about that. Um, or somebody like that who felt inspired to make a choice about career. Uh, yeah. and, and to me, that's just a, a, a joyous thing. And I'm so glad that our, the crews, cast and crew and I, that would put those things together, we would always feel a sense of family and camaraderie and warmth while we were making yeah, those yeah. things. And we really hoped, we, we felt like the only way that people can feel warmth yes. on the other side is if yes. warmth creates it in the first place. So I would yes. studiously try to stay away from political people and from jerks. Yeah. Same and, here. Same here. We don't, we don't do that stuff around here. Neither do I. And I think. In addition to yeah. the don't want to work with again list, there's also the must work with again list. And you keep gathering those kind of people around you. And it's just when it can lead to positive ripples uh, going out to people and, and having it change their day or their week or bigger periods of their life for the better. It's just wonderful. So and Jerry, that's wonderful advice. Thank you so much. That's just, it's been such a, just a wonderful time with you. Just thank you so much. And 
you know, we talk about story shapes life and I, we've, we've had just a wonderful time hearing about your story. You, you've deep dived into the intricacies of what it means to be an animator and a, and a this and a that and all the different hats that you wear. And just, it's just been for me, I, I, I probably have to, I'm going to listen. I'm going to go back and listen to this about two or three times because there's, there's so much things that like wisdom bombs that you've dropped in in the terms of animation and stuff and and i and i you know i'm i've, I've just got to go back um there's now so oh, go ahead go ahead yeah early early times high school times to recently now into you know my five years in as an executive r&d imagineer and being creative lead on on free walking autonomous robots and ai conversation yeah. characters and it's still the same principles at work and the same, and, and even helping them visualize future magic, like what's gonna happen five or 10 years from now. Like so many things along the way on that journey where it's it's new moments of discovery. And, and it takes me back to a, a cherished memory I have uh, of, of Ollie Johnson. And when he was, we were first starting the Fox and the Hound and he was still animating. He hadn't quite retired to start working on the books yet. And he like is in the hallway and, and meets several of us and has has flipping drawings. And he's wow. flipping drawings of the little puppy like jumping, waving its paddling its little feet going into the water. And he's asking like, "What do you think?" And he's like talking about working <laughs> on it. And here he was. And he wasn't sitting back going like, "Oh, I know everything." He's like, "I'm discovering something new. I tried this. What do you think?" And then he was learning. Yeah. At all ages, so he in his last scene, he felt like he was discovering and learning, and uh, I have felt that same thing that I'm in this big, huge, creative sandbox yes. where we're all pushing and discovering and playing and working, and uh, it's there's constantly the next thing, the next piece of magic, the next discovery. So all the way along, all the the, the twenty attractions we didn't talk about, and a bunch of other stuff. It all has that in common is like the seeking the seeking the yeah. moment of discovery and and the joy of meeting new people like you work with some of the same people, but you invariably meet there's new people that come into the mix and they spark new things too. Yes. So, uh, and by the yeah, way, your sandcast is pretty good. So if you're in a sandbox, if, if it's one big collective sandbox, you got a pretty good sandbox. I mean, you got to sit your castles pretty good. I just I just want to I just want to say, I think I think, you know. However, you build that castle; it's uh, it's pretty beautiful. So I just want to. Well, thank. Been a joy, <laughs> out with you guys and uh, sharing the magic. Will you and and will you come back? I absolutely would come back. All right. Yes, yes. I invite you along with uh, you know the, the the my my website is dreadfully needs updating. I think it only mentioned sixteen out of the twenty two attractions, and it, uh, um, but my the CV that I sent you the 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 uh, resume uh, CV document has has more of the stuff it has more recent things including some inventor uh things as well and uh so if you know if anything you see on, on that interests you of particular to zero in on next time or you want to just do another oh it, it all does it all does so we'll, we'll connect like whatever <laughs> i feel like we need the uh, you keep using the word chapters we need yep. the jerry reese book i want i want all the stories nicely compiled so i can just get them all right yeah. right well, we will we'll see what we can do. And <laughs> I have that. We'll, uh, we'll talk about them. Whatever you want. My friend, Jerry, anything else you want to plug? Uh, and 
invite any of our listeners to to I should just mention that I'm going to be at Retro Magic coming up September 30th. That one is particularly in celebration of Cranium Command. I recently had uh, discovered and transferred about six hours. We're not going to have six hours. It's uh, culled down to a few minutes, but I found about six hours of behind the scenes of when I was making Cranium Command. Uh, and I used the camera not just to document what we were doing. I used it a lot uh, to rehearse with the cast and to show my director of photography what I meant by a shot. I would just do it and then show it to him. And so we we did it. Uh, uh, my home video camera was an active participant in us rehearsing and trying things. Like there's a scene where there's a bully that is supposed to pick up the character whose head you're writing in and throw him in a trash can. So at that point, we actually handed the camera to the actor and the actor oh. lifts it up and stuffs it in the trash can. So wow. I would put my own home video camera through the mill before I asked them to do it with the professional equipment. So there was just hours and hours of stuff that truly is never before seen behind the scenes of making Cranium Command. And so uh, so we've got September 30th, uh, Todd, Todd McCartney and yeah. team are going to... Uh, to bring me up on stage along uh, with uh, Scott Curtis, who did okay. the voice of Buzzy and uh, also was the on-screen Buzzy for the main theater show. Uh, so, so anytime collection. So that's coming up. Jerry, just just thank you so much. I some when when we do these casts, I always leave like my shoulders are salt. And it's just because I always think that like I made a new friend and it's just these things aren't the these conversations aren't just fly by for me they're, they're very meaningful and I'm just so fortunate to to have met you and and just knowing everything you've done is, is it's just been a just a wonderful privilege so thank you for thank you for taking the time to to, to be here and 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 your story certainly and get, getting to know you I'm tearing up it, it shapes it shapes my life it shapes my life and and uh, I, I just hope to to keep to keep this conversation going I appreciate that Jeff and I would happily come back Matt you want to well, gush you want to gush you want to thank you I, you I, say I, thank I gush you? yeah I feel like I gush during it again I, I <laughs> thank you for toaster I I just have for everything you've done right you've done so much and like we mentioned, we definitely, you're on that. We want to work with you again, Liz. We want you back. We could spend, we want you back multiple times because I want to hear every story of every attraction that you did because you've touched so much, not just the attractions, the other, we didn't even talk about some of the things you produced, like even like Space Jam and like things like that. You've done so much, right? I know. Like, oh no. So yeah, we definitely have to have you back. It's been an absolute pleasure. It doesn't even feel like we've been talking for two and a half hours so uh, we definitely have to have you back and again just thank you thank you for toaster and thank you i guess for robin williams being genie without you well it was, the first, oh, it was the first domino uh, <laughs> so, so i yeah. i just go back and look at that and it's funny if you if you look at the uh metamorphosis scene where he uh, changes into all those different things mm -hmm. uh you know that was that was the uh the seed of it's his genie life. So yeah. uh, wonderful. And I, I just go back, I, I found a very snowy, old, almost disintegrated uh, video of Robin when he was first recording voices for me. And I have the moment when he first said, you know, look, I'm a cartoon and he giggles. And uh, I just thought that was a very momentous moment is like, 
it was it was literally the first time he was a cartoon and right. uh then he was many more times after that so. awesome well uh i had a great time with you guys yes i will yeah. get with you next time we get together it was it was a wonderful time thank you you guys are great uh, all next time Bye. We want to thank all of you for tuning into another episode of Sharing the Magic. As always, please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes and tell your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one. You can also find us on social media such as Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Sharing the Magic Pod. And until next time, keep sharing the magic.